Hello and welcome to Creative Sessions with Creative People, the show by creatives for creatives, with me, your host, Alan Grant. Hello and welcome to episode four of Creative Sessions with Creative People with me, your host, Alan. Now, this week, I had the opportunity to sit down with the one, the only actor and character extraordinaire, Mr. Roy Grimson. We had a hell of a conversation, hell of a chat, hell of a sit down. So without any further ado, here's my interview with Roy. Enjoy. (laughs) Didn't mean for that to rhyme. So my guest this week is an actor of stage and screen, comedy, musicals, plays, drama. He has done it all. Voice work now is a particular uh, focus of his at the moment, I know. He is an entertainer, a performer and an all around character. It's Mr. Roy Grimson. How are you today, Roy? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, what an intro, actually. I'm, I'm beaming from ear to ear after hearing that intro. Thanks for that. <laughs> so I like to big up my guests each and every week. So how are you doing? in these uh these trying times i'm doing incredibly well i have to say yeah you're right though trying times is definitely the word but as i said to a lot of people because it was my mate carl actually said it to me once that thing of do you know what yeah it's it's not the most ideal situation for a lot of people particularly the creatives but you know what there are worse situations we could be in so be grateful for what we have at the moment yeah yeah absolutely and it's and as we touched on before we came on air it's good now that you know, things are, they're beginning to creep back to, yeah. you know, m- maybe not full normality, maybe not even, you know, a smidgen of the normality that we had, but they're beginning to creep back in, in a, in a sense, things are starting to open up again. And hopefully now with the country reopening that pretty soon the creative uh, arts will be thriving once again. Yeah. Like, cause that's what even I was saying, like, the, um, cause even like, even what, like what you were saying before we were chatting, before we came on that thing of, I was working in a theater um, not too long ago but it was that we were filming the production that was going ahead but just that lovely sense of the theatre was open there was a buzz about the place the actors were buzzing off each other the director was like you know it was proper theatre creative mode the only thing we were missing obviously was the audience because it was filming but even just that sense of like you know that tiny little spark of like oh here's the outlet here's the window of things about to return to what they once were so it gives people like us that sense of like oh can't wait and then even people like yourself who are creating things like this podcast or just anyone that I know who's a writer or director they've been creating these ideas and then putting them to the side just waiting for the green light to go okay we're back open let's go for it and the next minute what there'll be this just this creative surge is going to happen and I I for one can't wait it's really exciting to see what the creative people have come up with yeah I mean it's almost like at the moment now we're just wetting our appetite waiting just to get back chomping at the bit like you know just gagging for it, if you've heard my expression, just waiting to get back in front of the public eye, waiting to get our projects out there, waiting to be seen and heard. Uh, and yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for it either. And while we're on the subject of that, the experience, what was the experience like then being back in the being back in the theatre? Obviously, as you said, there was no audience, but it must have been gratifying even just to be back out there and to get that feeling, as you're saying, of being in the theatre again. Yeah, no, like even... Because it was it was mad. The fellow who texted me and said, "Are you free on the day?" and I was like, "I I genuinely thought he was going to do a get in because when he told me the location, I went, "That's a theater out out near um near East Wall." I was like, "That's are we doing a get in?" Like I was going, "Oh," he's like, "No, like we're filming a show." But either way, it was still that buzzing sensation. Of, oh my god, I'm going into a theater and then walking in yeah. and just seeing the 
the custodian kind of there and he was opening things up. It's like, how are you? It's like, how are you today, sir? We're going into a theater. And he was, yeah. he was looking at me as if like, you know, I, I, I literally just open and close the door. Dude, I, I've no, I don't do anything with the actual theater building. We're here. There's a theater. There's some cameras. There's a crew. There's a cast. It's like, that's all you want. So it was quite exciting. Just that lovely sensation. Just like seeing people running around with the costumes, trying things on standing in front of, because we were using a green screen at one stage, standing in front of the green screen yeah. and then going like, hang on, can we just mark that out? And I was like, oh, he said, let's mark it out. He's using the terminology that has long since been forgotten. <laughs> just hearing those expressions again. I can only imagine that that doorman and as well, as you say, he just opens the door, closes the door, probably not like very energetic yeah. person maybe. And then here comes that bundle of energy that is Roy yeah. Grimson. Just, he probably didn't know how to react to you at all. Oh, it's just like, see, this is why we keep you creative people locked up. This is, this is too much for people like me. <laughs> <laughs> but also as well, I think, was it, I'm, I think going back to December, I know you're involved in the Helix Panto, yeah. um, that you did a, a performance um, of the panto for a live stream as well was that at, at Christmas, in Christmas yeah time? so what happened was um, because obviously everything had shut down um, given the circumstances that we had to go through with COVID uh, what the Helix Panto decided to do was that they were going to film it like some of the other ones did but instead of like picking a venue and projecting it onto a big screen what they actually said was they're going to create these links for people and then the links would be sent to the families that would book it for that night and then from the comfort of your own home and in the safety with just your family and excuse me and your loved ones you were able to actually enjoy the whole experience of the helix panto in the comfort of your home but the magic of it was still there even though you couldn't be there as an audience and do the classic thing that we all do at panthers you know oh he's behind you or oh no it isn't oh no it's not yeah just having that sensation in your own home and still seeing the reaction of the kids and the people now i was only doing the crew side of things if I'd been part of the cast, it would have been a totally different kettle of fish because the cast, which mm. I can't give them anything but full credit for this idea, which was, yeah, on some of the nights, the cast did like live Zoom calls then afterwards with people. So they were in their full costumes, the full regalia, chatting to people, chatting to the kids back and forth, which I thought was a lovely idea, especially with the uncertainty of that, you know, were we going to have a regular Christmas? Could we even enjoy a Christmas? The fact that the creative team of yeah. the Panto came together and said, we have to make this as magical as ever and yet still deliver a quality show. And in my opinion, they did get loads because the writer of the show, Carl Harper, just just his writing and the ideas he had for the whole filming of it. You just could like as a like when I was standing there as the crew, I was going, how is this? Like, how is that going to translate onto the actual like film? And then when you saw it, you were like, oh, my God, just sensational. Sensa it's the only word I can use for it is sensational. Yeah, no, it, like it, it sounded really good and a good novel idea because, I mean, obviously I grew up a panto as well, same as you. And there is that thing of like after yeah. a panto, it's nice to go down, interact with the audience in character, in your costume. So obviously that, that was a lovely gesture there to do the, zoo, the live Zoom calls with the audience to still get that feeling and then to kind of um, to give them that interaction that they would have been missing. So it's interaction, you know, obviously not to the same level, but yeah, that, that, that's a great idea to do that. Yeah, and it just it translated really well because that was my initial thing. Like, obviously, like, cosplay, COVID has not been fun for any of us. And when the whole thing of certain venues and certain, just certain, like, landmark moments in the calendar that you look forward to, like, for some people, going to see a panto at Christmas is, like, a huge thing for the family, you know, because parents mm. have done it since they were kids. They went with the grandparents. And then, you know, so it's always a big thing to look forward to. So when those things couldn't happen, it was that sense of like, oh God, we're missing out. But then 
to actually see it done in a completely different medium and still knock it out of the park. I was like, it just goes to show why not just like the performing industry, but just the creative industry in general is so important. And it's, it's really important that at times of real hardship, really show what you're capable of because you're the very thing that's going to give people that sense of hope of like, oh my God, that's exactly what I needed. That's the, that's the outlet I needed in a time when everything is just so uncertain and, you know, just absolutely dank and dour all the time. Like, don't get me wrong, a lot, you can't beat a live audience. No matter the, the buzz of having a live audience there is second to none. It's the thrill of before you go on stage, you know, you feel their energy. And then the minute you come on, you have to match it. And then they, it's like, it's the lovely back and forth. You can't beat that atmosphere. But COVID knocked us off the yeah. loop because never in a million years could happen in our lifetime or happen to the degree that it did where like literally everything shut down. There was no option for any of us. It was a case of, no, you can't do this. Mm. And like some people try to, you know, be, you try to fight and you try to say, ah, look, but maybe can we bend the rules? And then lo and behold, you just have to accept, no, we can't. It's just physically not safe. Now, going back to what you were saying, like I would recommend it because it is that thing of like, for some people, it's the escapism. For ages, all we were seeing on like our TV screens or the phone updates or whatever it may be was just COVID this, lockdown this, you know, new variants. And it was just like, oh my God, it's too much. I need some sort of an escape. And by that stage, you know, you've watched everything on Netflix. You've binged all the series that your friends and family have been telling you to binge. And then it gets to a point where you're like, oh, what else can I do? So to have that thing of like a live show streamed right to the safety of your home and you can sit there in the comfort of it all, it's a great thing for people, um, for the people sitting at home because they're going, oh, it's something new. And it's that, as I say, it's the great thing about being in a theater or seeing a movie. It's that thing of you can switch your brain off and be transported to a place where you are just so enveloped in this world and you can go for the next two hours I'm just going to be purely entertained and forget everything that's going on in my life. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I'm in two minds about it because I see it from both sides. Obviously, um, while I think it's great that people are adapting and, you know, thinking inside the box and still getting work out there, I can I can see it from uh, like the likes of my dad, his point of view. But also, Mm -hmm. I think I know if I was if I was doing another show now, I'd probably do a drama because for some reason, I think like a panto or comedy, I think, is especially ones where you definitely need that that feeling of the live crowd. So like those would be the two I'd probably be be a bit more hesitant to do. Maybe those 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 things. Obviously, I know like, you know, the the Helix Panto work and I know you're from the crew side of it. And obviously you were saying if you are on the stage, it would be a different point of view just to, you know, see how you felt about like the the crowd's lack of presence for like for the comedy of it all. Um, So I think when you're kind of getting engagement from the audience that way, where you need the laughs, maybe in terms of comedy or Panto. I, w- I know I would be more hesitant yeah. to do those myself, but a drama, I think, yeah, I'd, I would be open to do that. But I, as I say, I applaud everyone who's doing work, getting work out there. Um, I think it's great thinking outside the box, but I'm in two minds about it myself at times. But I do think it's, it is great that we're still able to get um, content mm. out nonetheless. Oh, absolutely. And like, to be honest, no, I, w- I would agree with you. I, I do. I think it's brilliant. But yeah, I do get where people are coming from. That sense of like, oh, it just certain things just don't work without an audience there like you know even Mm. for like because i know you had um alex on the comedian that thing of like you know when you're doing even just a a comedy sketch or anything sometimes it's just having somebody heckle up at you or just shout something up at you because it makes you go okay so you are engaged with me you're you're here with me i'm not just standing here performing to a bunch of statues kind of thing staring up at me but I, yeah, and also I know like, you know, as far as stand-up comedy goes, I know there's comedians out there who are doing stand-up comedy on Zoom 
and I'm like, I just don't know how that works. Mm. Um, so there, I think there's that there are specific areas that like lend itself more towards like Zoom and live stream and you know live stream theater than others. I suppose would be my would be my point. But as I say, fair yeah. play to the Helix, and obviously it worked. And I think even that little bit, as we were saying, of like you know the live interaction in character with the audience after the show gives them that little bit, so they can get so they can yeah. get feedback and they can interact and you know, even get that, those live laughs that might've been missing during the performance, but getting them with the, with the children or the adults, like after the fact, I think that, that, that's, that's brilliant. Oh no, absolutely. And, but I suppose it also comes down to as well, when you have a really good writer who just knows how to write and will get the laughs, whether you can hear them or not, like, cause the joy for me was I got to be in the Helix Panther the year previously when they did the Three Musketeers. And it's that mm. lovely sense of like, just the writing, was so good. Carl Harper just does this incredible thing of he knows how to make the people laugh, but not force it. It's just clever writing. So to see it from a cast perspective, and it was brilliant because you'd be laughing, but then see it from the crew perspective where you'd still chuckle at things. And then they're like, obviously, because we we're filming it, there was times where as a crew, you had to contain your, like you couldn't laugh out loud because if you did, you'd wreck the shot. Like one of the highlights for me was seeing yeah. Owen Cannon as the evil character playing against Aidan Mannion, who plays um, sort of like, you know, the the fun, the, the comic relief character, the one who just, the, I don't know if I'm going to swear on your podcast, yeah. the gobshite character, <laughs> as, as, as you described. Yeah, like uh, wishy-washy that or thing, yeah. that type of role. The, day, the Dame's yeah, son so type, yeah. Just to see the interaction between the two of them, and then there was one shot, and it was this, it was a case of like, we had one chance to get it right. If we didn't, it was like, okay, look, we have to go where we have. But the whole gag of it was he gets mm. Owen Cannon gets right up to the camera and he's given the whole evil character monologue speech. And then just from off camera, you hear, hey, look what Bernard found. And next minute, Silly String hits Owen in the face. And then you think that's it. But the next minute, two, like, two things hit him at the same time. And it was just like when you saw it as a crew member, you erupted with laughter. And then when you saw the finished product, mm. it was even funnier because you were going, oh, my God, how does that like I I saw how they did it. I saw the two people standing behind the camera squirting them. But then when you see it, you're going like, it's just the <laughs> magic of it. That's, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I, you can't you can't be panto for moments like that. Oh, it just can't be ah, no, a, a good a good pantomime. And funnily enough, uh, you were saying like, I know panto is associated with Christmas, but I, I've always associated panto with February. Which is an odd because one. Because that's when Kells do it. Yeah, because yeah, we do it every year in February. Um, so I've never really associated pantos with Christmas. With Christmas, that's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, because I think and I think that was one of the reasons why I think I remember at the time I think uh, the musical society here in Kells was like, well, everyone does that at Christmas. We'll do ours in February, and there's like less competition. And you know, from there, like that's been going over forty years, okay, and yeah. just I'm just so used to it now being February. I think it's odd when somebody says, "Oh, we're doing it in December." I'm like, "Oh," and then people look at me as if I've got ten heads when I say, "Oh, we do it in February." Yeah, <laughs> sure. I've um, a friend of mine once said he's been involved with a couple of pantos. They do it in the summer, and I was even for me, I was like, "A summer panto?" Summer. I was like, "God, that's that's really out there." <laughs> God, because uh, you, you you can bake on stage like you know when you're like in your costume under the lights anyway like in in the best oh, times of, in winter but like in summer my god <laughs> oh but yeah. anyway Roy, let, let, let's take the conversation back a little bit i want to ask you a question that i don't believe i've ever asked you and i've known you now since going on six years 2015 i think when we, we first met. yeah I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this question is now well i don't think i've ever asked you like how did you get your start in all this in this crazy world of acting drama theater the arts in general like how did you first get your your, your, your taste for it 
Yeah, so the gas thing is, I was always like, you know, the classic joke that your parents always say, he was born theatrical. Like when I came out, most babies come out and cry. I came out and was like, no, no. like the, the scream and the cries has to just be that little bit more dramatic. So they were like, oh yeah, he's, mm. he's destined to just be an over the top drama queen. It's like, yeah, all right, thanks very much. And <laughs> um, my first impressions of my parents was that lovely. Um, but for me, <laughs> the thing that really like hooked me and made me go, that's what I want to do with my life. It's the only thing I can do in my life is both the starting point and also one of the biggest inspirations I have, who, as you know, was Robin Williams Um, just absolutely mm-hmm. adored him. Like, and to this day, I still consider him the reason why I wanted to become an actor because I saw him in the film, this is Doubtfire when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And I remember just going, what is he doing? He's like, he's not just acting in a film. He's voice acting. He's singing. He's playing different characters. He's dressing up. He's ha- like, he's just, it was just sensational what I saw him do. And I remember just turning to my dad and going, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And my dad initially looked at me with a raised eyebrow and went, you want to be a man who dresses up like a woman? And I was like, no, <laughs> I said, I want to do what I want, to be the I want to do that. I want to act. I want to dress up. I want to perform characters. I like all that kind of stuff. Um, and to be fair, it was just something, Alan, like when people say to me, like, what got you started? It's just one of those things that I say to people and as corny as it may sound, it was just something that was naturally in me. I, I, I couldn't mm. see myself doing anything else but perform in some way, shape or form. Because as I say to a lot of people, you're good at some things, but you're fantastic at only a select few things. And for me, that is performing. It's whether it be film acting on stage, voice acting, that's become a huge thing for me these days. Um, but even like as a kid, I'd just be doing like skit like even when people if we're in other people's houses i have this funny memory of being in my uncle's and him taking out all these like just random hats and coats and stuff and me just putting them on and him going what are you doing it's like well it's, it's fun i'm dressing up i'm you I'm, I'm dressed like you uncle mervin um you know just ridiculous things like yeah. that you know um but definitely the thing that started it for me yeah was just seeing uh robin williams is missing doubtfire and then when i started doing speech and drama classes in the local community center with Catherine coffee and um, I remember just loving it. I loved getting up and performing the poems and doing these little um, solo pieces and just being able to act as these different characters. And then my starting, my, I was only thinking about it when you asked me to part of this podcast. The first role I ever actually had, it's a role I'm very proud of, um, was we did The Three Little Pigs and everyone think, oh, so were you like the big bad wolf? I was like, no, actually, I was a character that wasn't even a character in the main story, but should be because of my performance alone. I was, Alan, I was <laughs> the straw house. So the first house that the wolf encounters, I was the house. My mom made the full costume for me. I, had, I, I just, I looked fantastic. Just pictured the three other little kids, you know, hiding behind me and then the big bad wolf. I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And I had one line as the house. I had one line and I nailed it because I did it as I fell over as the house. I was like, Timber! And oh, I just remember, oh, I just remember feeling so <laughs> proud because I was able to say it as I fell. And I was like, oh, that's that's what I want to yeah. do with the rest of my life, <laughs> my life. <laughs> oh, that's that's lovely. And do you know what? Funnily enough, in a way, do you know who you, who you reminded me of there? You know who you Dude, sounded like? Intrigued. Roy in inverted commas from upstage. <laughs> that's who you went. Now, for anyone out there, we, we did a web series uh, about four years ago called Upstage for myself and Roy. So it was uh, one of my projects at my company at the time. And we played 
exaggerated versions of ourselves. And Roy was the foil to my character, who was an exaggerated yeah. version of he was an, playing an exaggerated version of himself, being like you know the arrogant diva. And uh, just the way the way you said that there now just reminded me of Roy. And now I'm thinking, God, maybe I wasn't too far off casting Roy in that, in that part. I'm joking. I'm joking, of course. It's, it's the funny thing, though, of like, you know, because some people say it's like, oh, God, come across very arrogant. But people who know me, it's like, I know, you know, I will happily take the mick out of myself any chance that I get. Like, you know, and to be honest, that character of Roy was the ultimate way of me saying, I do not take myself seriously. And please, anyone who is a performer or a creative person, don't take yourself seriously. Have a bit of a laugh and have a joke because amazing things are created. Like I, I still say it, Alan. I know we all say to this day, Upstage was one of the funnest experience just purely because of the laughs we had between takes. Yeah, oh, it was so, so funny. And obviously I know that you're tongue-in-cheek the whole way through. I mean, you know I'm joking. <laughs> I, know, I, I know you're tongue-in-cheek all the way. Uh, but just the way you said it just really reminded me. I could just see, yeah. I could just see Roy. I could see what the scarf, the sunglasses, the attitude, just saying the part that I was playing wasn't even in the original text, but it should have been because uh, of my performance alone. I could just see you there with, with the turtleneck, with the scarf, uh, the, you know, the glasses. Uh, oh, so 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 funny. Um, but yeah, back to Robin Williams, and uh, you know, I I I see a lot of Robin Williams like in you uh, and certain performances that I've seen I don't, and I remember distinctly another play that we worked on was actually well it was it was four plays but you were in three yeah and between it was a good variety of like you know you were in the kill the drama there but then you played multiple roles in a comedy that we did the pickup line you did a pair of lunatics but between the two of them you got comparisons to Robin Williams because I remember the audience afterwards I was so impressed with you and your energy and my family were there that night and they were very impressed with like with your energy because I don't think they'd ever seen you do the, the variety of roles that we saw you do that mm. particular night but not only did you get compared to Robin Williams you got compared to the energy of Jim Carrey as well, who I know was another big influence of, of, of yours. Yeah, uh, even when you say it and you remind me that I did, like, I'm never, I'm never big-headed. I never let those kind of comments get to my head. But, like, it's just when you get the, that lovely comparison, I always say to people, take those compliments because when somebody says it, they genuinely mean it. And it, it, it really does warm my heart every time I get those because, yeah, the two of them just were huge idols for me. Like, and, yeah, growing up, um, like, the Jim Carrey films, I can't tell you how many times I've watched them, but just every single time I would roar with laughter and I would just say how like he's an actor, but he's not doing what, you know, some of the big actors like, you know, a Tom Hanks or a Clint Eastwood or anything. He does these roles that are so outlandishly out there. Mm. And it's like, oh, it's just incredible. It was, it was a completely different side to acting because when initially when you think of actors, most people would automatically go like, you know, oh, you know, alas, poor Yorick, for I knew him well. They think of Shakespeare and well-spoken. Or if it's, you know, film and TV, they think real serious kind of things. Just to see somebody, when I was that young, do something completely mm. out there, it was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. It's like a gateway to a whole yeah. other world of acting. No, I was the same because Jim Carrey, big influence on me as well. Like I grew up, I like the Ace Ventura, The Mask, Liar, Liar. I mean, him as the Riddler, Batman Forever, like just performances like that. that. Stole my part. Stole my part. <laughs> and I didn't want to say, but that, that, that's another upstage gag, Roy, saying you missed out on the audition for the Riddler, even though he would have been a, like two years old at the time. 
and that was yeah. a completely improvised yeah. gag as well and we had each other in stitches uh, we couldn't get through the scene during upstage at that point oh it's too funny um but yeah no I, like jim carrey i can understand that big big influence he was the same for me like i remember actually being scared of the mask when i was a kid i remember I had to hide behind the couch whenever he would do the transformation. I remember like that was actually the big thing for me. I remember having like my dad just saying, look, just sit down and watch it. It's not that bad. I had to face my fears and I felt so proud. Being, mm. Do you know that bit where he just puts on the mask initially and he does the spin around of the tornado and it's all manic and crazy. Yeah. That used to terrify me when I was a small kid. And then I wow. felt I felt really proud then when I sat down and watched it. I'm like, this is not so bad. And but obviously, and then I, yeah, I just love the film. That's probably one of my favorite films, actually. Certainly one of my favorite Jim Carrey films. Um, yeah, like for me, it was um, like obviously the mask, fantastic. I think the one that really, like, because Ace Ventura is fantastic. Like, I'll watch that all mm-hmm. the time. That, but the one that I don't know just really, really makes me go like, oh, it's just fantastic. Is liar, liar. Yeah, I just, it, it's just it's subtle, like because with Ace Ventura, yeah, he is a real character, but he is still an eccentric kind of thing. There is that element of he's like metahuman, he's not a real person. Mm. But with Liar Liar, it's that thing of this is he is a genuinely real person. And you know, this like obviously what happens in the film is a little bit far-fetched, but we accept it as it still works. But it's just it's the tiny things he does. Like one of my favorite scenes is uh, the pen scene where it's just like oh, yeah. the pen is red and he write and he writes blue. And then when he actually, it's the physical comedy they do is like just flicking the pen mm. back at his face. And it's like, write it, write it or break it off. And it's just, <laughs> he, it's just, it's his physical energy that he brings, not just his like, um, what's the word, like the vocal or facial expression. He throws his whole body into everything he does. And I think that's what really inspired me as a performer. And again, it was that window into like, okay, like I was used to actors being, you know, acting from I know people can't see me because this is a podcast <laughs> um, but that thing of most actors you're always like told act with your face and your upper body because mm. that's where the camera catches most of the magic but with him like even if it's a close with his face his whole body moves and you're like how is he doing that it's just incredible art form that he has yeah oh he's just such an incredible incredible performer like and yeah you, going back to the early 90s Jim Carrey just such a different energy uh, and just totally different yeah. than anything that was going on in Hollywood at the time. Like, and I know he obviously did get pigeonholed. He got typecast, you know, for that, but still, yeah. Um, it's just very, very, very impressive nonetheless. But, he, but here's a question for you. Let's, let, let's play a little game here. Uh, we'll call it Roy's okay. choice. You're probably not going to like this. Oh. Roy's choice. Although the first time I played this game uh, was with Alex on my very first episode and it ended really quickly. He didn't even have to think about the, cho- uh, you know, which choice to make. Oh, We'll see if it's harder for you. Okay. Your two big influences, Robin Williams, Jim mm-hmm. Carrey. One has to go. Oh, God. Um, Roy's choice. Roy's as choice. Much, as much as I love them both, and I really, really do. Um, oh, God. Janie Mack. It's like picking between my children. Um, <laughs> I would have to say, I would have to say, purely because he was the one that started off, I'd have to say Robin Williams stays. Jim Carrey has to go. I'm sorry, Jim. I'm so so sorry. I fi- I figured you'd go that way, but I wanted to see. Um, but I'm 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 happy now that, that uh, there was at least a little bit of thinking about it. You didn't just immediately say, "Oh, uh, oh Robin Williams God, stays." Like, that's like God, nice like to see you struggle a little bit because I, the first time I played that game, you know, with Alex, he just immediately went, "No, this has to go." So nice to see that there was a little bit of a struggle. Oh. There. I'm glad the game didn't. The game lasted a bit longer today. <laughs> oh god um 
But another area that like I know that you're big into obviously now is, is mental health. So I know like we've yeah. worked together um, like a lot on stage. We've worked together on like film mm-hmm. projects. I've seen you, I've seen you at your best. And I know there's times where I've seen you go through some hard times and I've seen you, at, you know, yeah. at, at your, at your worst as well. And I'm just wondering mm-hmm. like how, cause I know you do life coaching and that's how you kind of got, mm-hmm. you know, your interest in, in mental health from there. I know you're a huge advocate of mental health. So tell us yeah. like how you got started in that and what uh, your experiences are in, in that arena. With that, it was, again, it's that strange thing of like, it's just one of those things, you know, few things in life that you're really, really fantastic at. And for me, what I discovered from a very young age was I have this really strange ability of being able to just sit with a person or sit with a multitude of people and just take in everything that they're saying, not just like, you know, words, but like really get a sense of like their emotions and the things that they're not actually saying, but they're hinting at, you know, um, mm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and it was just interesting because I'm also, I've been described as a very empathetic person. So like I can really feel what somebody else is going through and put myself into that frame of mind. And I guess it's that weird thing of when it came to like the life coaching, like you're saying, the two itself and acting go hand in hand because you have to put yourself into somebody else's world and really experience what they're experiencing, which is acting. Because when you're playing a part, that's what you have to do with a character. Mm. But when it came to like, the mental health and all that kind of stuff it was just a thing of like I grew up with certain scenarios where I was just like god this is really affecting not just myself but other people and like why is that like why why do these things affect us and then as you get older you start to really delve into that thing of god sometimes somebody's mental state influences a lot of things in their life whether they know it or don't sometimes it could be a subconscious thing and it's like but why is that so when I when I took up a bit of the life coaching and it was around the time when, like you said, I was in a a very, very low place myself. Um, And it's that thing of like, I was just like, why, why did I allow myself get to that low point? What was the trigger for it? What was the origin for it? How can I stop something like this from happening again? And then more importantly, how can I be an example for others to show that, you know, sometimes you need to go through those, those, those low points in your life but you have to be able to have the tools and the wherewithal to go. I may have to take up, you know, I may have to like live there for a little while, but I'm not going to take up residency there. I'm going to pull myself out, yeah. out of this at some stage. So like with the life coaching, it was, it was just purely through my own kind of, you know, emotional journey and the emotional kind of ups and downs that you go through, especially in the creative world, because my God, it's a, it's a very draining world because you go for a mm. couple of auditions and the only words that you get, as I say to a lot of people who are starting off, get used to hearing the word no, because you're going to hear it a heck of a lot of times if you're a performer. Yeah. Um, and then it's the classic thing. Uh, somebody once said to me, you have to go through the process of 39 no's before you get the 40th one, which is a yes. And that's when you mm. go like, oh, fantastic. But during that stage, you have to look after your mental well-being. You have to be able to say to yourself, okay, look, yeah, it was another rejection, but you know what? I'm damn proud that I got a chance to audition in the first place. I'm damn proud that I got a chance to showcase my skill. And then if you don't get a part, it's not the end of the world. It just means yeah. you were not the person for that role at that time, but it doesn't mean that you're not talented. It doesn't mean that you're not capable of playing another role or playing a similar mm-hmm. role later on down the line. So 
for me, mental health is a huge thing when it comes to the arts because, like, especially nowadays with the way oh, yeah. things have gone over the last year, like, I've had people come to me lost. Like, they're like, I don't know what to do with my life. And it's like, well, this is where you need to start training that mental health muscle in your head. And, you know, your bounce back muscle from every all the rejection, your bounce back muscle from things where it's like, not going to go your way all the time, you know? Because um, some people, like, you know, I knew, they were really like they were riding this great wave they gig after gig after gig and next minute that wave came crashing down and it was like well look you got to pick yourself back up you know it's tough it hurts my god does it hurt again i speak from my own experiences but you have to be able to dig deep at the end of the day and go look it's not why me it's try me you know and if you want to be successful you've got to have that attitude of i'm going to be tenacious i'm going to go for it and now at the same time, though, don't get me wrong, because as much as I'm an advocate of mental health and all that, I've said it to a couple of people where they've been going through a really bad patch. And I'm like, yeah, but you have to go through the bad patch. Say that, you know, things aren't great. Say that, you know, you're not feeling 100 percent. Don't lie about it, because that was one of my biggest faults. Um, as you yourself would have known, like I put on the brave face and I just be like, oh, it's grand, it's grand, mm. it's grand. Yeah, no big deal, no big deal. But see, by doing that, what you're telling people is, okay, look, well, then he is fine. He doesn't need help. Whereas in reality, it should be, no, I'm actually struggling. Can, so, can you just be the shoulder to cry on? Can, you, can I just have five minutes of your time just so I can get the stuff off my chest? And then through that, you go, whew, there's a weight off my shoulders. I actually feel better just having spoken about it and acknowledging that it is a thing. And then because you've told somebody, they then become a support network for you. And they're there for you to go, yeah, look, it's no big deal. We all go through harsh times in our life. We all go through those moments yeah. where it's like, oh God, what are we going to do? What am I supposed to do with myself? And for me, because again, like my parents said back when I was born, oh, everything's going to be over the top with this one. For me, it was that case of like scenarios that I was in. It wasn't just as simple as, you know, black and white. For me, it was like, oh no, there's a mixture of purple and blues and violax and indigo. Like, whereas now, because I've done my training and I've, really learn to master it you do look back and you go good grief like talk about soap opera acting at its finest like you know for goodness sake like you know um but to me like i would say to everyone don't take your life seriously but when when it's required do give it the time that it needs you know because it helps you grow as a person and it's important you know like you can't be one dimensional. Like, again, I bring it back to the arts, that thing of any character that you ever play or any role that you'll ever do. It's not one dimensional. There are layers to everything that we do and you have to explore every single layer to get the full experience. And and furthering on, um, on, on this subject of mental health, I understand you're also doing another podcast called The Kids Are All Right, uh, which is about mental health for, yeah. uh, for, for, for children and teenagers and the youths of today. So, yeah, so... Explain how, how you got uh, started in that process and that uh, project. Yeah, so that was that was the thing that was great for me. When I started doing the training as a life coach and I was coming to the end of it, I had done all the training. I was about to get the, we were going to do our graduation and all that. And I remember just saying to myself, God, our, co- our, ma- our main coach said to us all, do you see yourself doing this now as a full-time job? Because especially here in Ireland, life coaching is not a, uh, not as well known or as well received in Ireland. Mm. You think of America, that's when you think of like the big life coach and think of the, the Tony Robbins and all those kind of people who are standing on the stage giving the big motivational speeches. We as Irish people, 
we're still adapting to that mm. kind of thing. We're still taking it in and going, what is it? So for me, it was that case of when he said, do you see yourself doing this full time? I went, I do to a degree. I don't see it being my new job because I still love yeah. performing. There, Nothing is ever going to quell that fire that's in me. It's literally part of who I am. I, I can't see myself doing anything else. But I did say I would love to find a way to combine these two loves of mine one that I knew I could do and then one that I never even knew I was capable of doing. It was just something that I did naturally. So I was like, how do I combine these two things together? I'm still working on the winning formula to it. Um, as somebody said, the day I get to do it on stage and, you know, you actually are able to like do it and it's like, oh, this is fantastic. Um, but what happened with the Kids Are All Right podcast is that I had said to myself, I wanted to be able to combine those two loves, but I also would love to get into voice acting because for years it was always something that I did like I was that weird kid in school where when we were on a bus trip or just going somewhere with a big gang of people I'd sit at the front of the bus near the microphone and go right lads I just take my phone I'm going to perform a little episode of the Simpsons for you all and I would recite entire episodes of the Simpsons do all the voices by memory for everyone and they love it now as you got slightly older you start to realize oh they're taking the Mick out of me but that's fine i'm still yeah. doing what i love i don't care you can laugh at me all you want i'm performing <laughs> i'm in my element <laughs> but yeah i'm doing what i love um but like voice acting and like just doing voice is something that i loved and when i i just said to myself i'd love to be able to do yeah combine those two things again the voice acting and then these two girls michelle michelle and claire who and this is the hilarious part they were looking to create a touring panto yeah. kind of thing for kids parties um, I think actually you know you are you know Claire Michelle you've worked with them before with party. Kids. Well, I, well, I've, I worked with Claire anyway, yeah, um, on a kid on a kids different kids theater project. Yeah, no, Claire Claire, Claire is great. And I know she always had that plan, as you say, of doing that touring uh, panto to the kids parties. So obviously yeah. it branched out and it became this. That's it, and it was it was amazing how it came about because they were looking to do like um, a little read through of the script and they wanted to get some photos for their website. And now this was between the two lockdowns. Um, back in last year so Mm. of course group of us came together it was all social distancing and we read the script and they said to us right as actors what is your feedback do you have any critiques do you have any bits that you're like oh that definitely won't work or just they just wanted our input on it and Mm. it was fantastic like I thought it was brilliant and I loved the idea of the puppetry as well because there were going to be puppets incorporated into it Um, and the whole thing of it is all the characters are puppets the only character that's a live human is the dame character which is the part that they actually asked me to come on and do. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll give the dame a crack. It's no problem. I'll play any role. And then when we were doing the photo shoot, I um, they were looking at the dress and they were going, oh, the dress just doesn't work. It's just, oh, it just doesn't, it won't look good on the photos and on the website. And I went, um, I've, I've played a dame before in a panto and my aunt actually made a custom dress just for my measurements and stuff. So I said, I can run home really quick and get you the dress and the wig and everything. And they were like, would you mind? And I was like, yeah, yeah, take me five minutes. I ran home, got mm-hmm. it, came running back down. Um, running through, though, the gas thing is running through um, the Square Talla car park with a dress that people are going like, are you giving that to your girlfriend or something? It's like, no, 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 no it's, 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 it's mine. And they're like, all right, yeah, fair play, man, fair play. Um, you do get some very bizarre looks when you're a creative person. Uh, but oh, yeah. At the same time, I'm like, Been doesn't there. matter. I don't care. Um, so I arrived in, did the photo shoot with them. They loved it. And through the process of chatting with Michelle and Claire, I said to them, 
not only am I an actor, but I do a bit of life coaching. I do a bit of um, motivational speaking. I do the mental health awareness stuff. And they said, oh, God, that's incredible. A couple of months go by and, you know, you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs going, God, what am I going to do today? I've, I've cut the grass. I've planted all the flowers. I've painted every room in the house, every colour on the colour chart. What else can I do in my spare time? Um, and then lo and behold, I got a call off Michelle to ask me, but I'd like to come on and be a voice actor for this new podcast they were thinking of, which was all about, like you were saying, mental health awareness and just providing a mental health support for kids and teens. And I went, oh, my God, it's combining the three things that I love together, performing, voice acting and coaching and mental health awareness. I was like, yeah, God, I literally hit the jackpot with this. Yeah, no, it, that, that's what you have to strive for. It's nice when you just get that sweet spot of just kind of, if, you, if you've got varied interests and you want to bring them all together, it's just nice when yeah. you find something that just connects all the dots. That That's what you got to strive for. And well done, for, like a fair play to you for, for getting that for yourself. Um, uh, thank you. And uh, I could just see, you know, from the pictures and that, that you'd be in your element there, like, um, you know, performing these different characters and going back to Robin Williams, in effect, getting to do what he was doing in Mrs. Doubtfire. Although so now I you're know, doing it, you're doing it like, you know, so fair, fair, fair play to you. And where is that podcast available then if you, if people want to listen to it? It's available on all um, social, social media. Well, actually, yeah, no, you can find us on social media. So you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. We are on TikTok as well. Uh, the mm-hmm. Buster and Buddy characters have a TikTok. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, just anywhere that you would listen to your podcasts or listen to your music, you can find us there. Um, and we've had some incredible guests come on. Um, like even when we first started and we were pitching the idea around, we were like, God, we're an unknown podcast. We're a you know, three people coming together to do this. We have all the best intentions, but you know, what's going to happen from it? When we went to do our first batch recordings back in December of last year, mm. we had 12 guests who were like, we love this. We'd love to come on and chat to you. We love the wow, premise. Yeah. We love how you're going to go about doing the episode. And we also love the idea of the puppets and Michelle being, it's kind of like, it's a, it's a 2.0 version nearly of what the den is. So the Ray Darcy character and then, you know, um, Dustin and... Zig and um, Zag and... Or Zig and Zag, sorry. Yeah, Dust, I was going to say Dustin and Saki. But then again, they were also yeah, a thing the den same. as well. Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of thing, but more geared towards for the kids and stuff. But then it was brilliant because the people that we had on, the stuff that you learn about was fantastic. Like one of the first people we had... Um, was talking to us about like the COVID and talking to us about vaccines. But because we're obviously, we're gearing it more towards the kids so that it's understandable for kids. We never do the patronizing thing where it's like, you know, oh no, this is how you do us. And this is right, this is wrong. It's like, no, mm-hmm. here's the general info. And it's just, it's just info for the kids done in a way that they can really grasp it and understand it. But the great thing for me was I was like, oh my God, I was like, I'm learning stuff I never even knew. And like, then we had people coming on like, how to be the boss of your worries and um, how to, you know, manage your sleep pattern better. I was like, for me as an adult, I was going, God, the kids are going to get great stuff. But me as an adult, I'm like, yeah. I never knew any of this stuff. This is amazing to have. Like, so for me, just being part of something that's providing such a fantastic resource for so many people and the yeah. responses that we've gotten have been incredible. Like the biggest story that I think we have so far on it is um, the, the, uh, <laughs> They were just, they were a group that we said, we'll we'll send them an email. They're probably never going to respond. It was the happy pair because Mm. they're great energy, just they're fantastic, two fantastic individuals. 
they came back to us the next day and went, we love this idea. We'd love to do an interview with you. And we were going, what? What? This is insane. Um, so it's been, it's been a really exciting journey. And the next phase for us is even more exciting because we've had some really exciting news come in. The ISPCC uh, have been on to us saying, we love it. We'd love to help fundraise a little bit for you Brilliant. because you're really focused on stuff with, you know, the mental health for kids and the support network for kids. So we had someone from them come on and chat to us about bullying, which, you know, very, very topical theme, no matter Absolutely, yeah. when you want to talk about it. She was amazing to chat to. And then we've been approached by this other group that do and um, this big um, podcast platform here in Ireland and they take on a select group of podcasts and you kind of work together then as a team mm. you still prov- you still do your own show but you plug the others and you give little shout outs here and there and you just create a bit of a support network for each other yeah but they're very, very selective they're very selective of who they take on and Michelle um, had said to us we got word from them they love our podcast and they said the amount of work you guys are putting in is scandalous that you don't have a bigger fan base so we're going to take you on with us and we'll help grow so they've literally said you have access to our studios now you have access to our resources so we were going like brilliant so so open the game yeah but something that started off as just this little thing of we just want to be able to provide this kind of support for kids has transformed into something even bigger for me though as much as i love doing that for me though the big thing was I'm getting to do something that I absolutely thrive at. I'm doing my voice acting and I'm doing my, my mental health stuff. I was like, that for me was, I, I had won no matter what, because I was just being a part of this podcast, I had won. I couldn't care less what success comes from anything that I do. Yeah, I know, I get you. Like, just because you know, this is the amalgamation of two things I really wanted to do. So yeah, it's an absolute win. And yeah. I, know I, to- I get where you're coming from, 100% agree with you. And again, fair play and everyone check out the podcast Roy's doing great work um, along with the rest of the team fun. <laughs> um and then to go back to obviously this is something that is obviously it's been great for you to have ongoing throughout these mm. you know fairly crappy times with covid <laughs> so when covid first hit let's go all the way back to march 2020 yeah you know um how did that affect you at the time what were your feelings at the time and like what was the last show that you did before um it all it all kicked off essentially like when was because as we know at the start of the interview we're saying you know recently you're back in that theater again so when was the last time you were in a theater before then working i mean obviously it probably probably would have been the helix i suppose at christmas um, and the last time with a crowd i suppose yeah so for me it was gas because the Christmas of 2019, um, mm. I was in the Three Musketeers with the Helix Panto. So, and obviously we had heard this, you know, this, this coronavirus over in Asia. And it was that thing of like, oh God, what's happening over in Asia? God, I hope, they're, I hope they'll be okay and stuff. Um, and you think nothing of it. You go, oh God, some sort of an outbreak has happened. Ah, they'll be able to stop it and all that. For me, as soon as I was finishing the Panto that year, um, two lads, Neil and Sean McDonough, two brothers that I've worked with, and I've done a, I did a comedy sketch show with them for about three summers called Ireland of Survivors. Guys, I've saw that um, brilliant, brilliant show, and another classic example of just that manic Jim Carrey esque energy that you have. Because I remember thinking, my God, because you were in and out of, I'd say, between maybe thirty different characters and yeah, you're right. scenarios. My God, it's such an impressive, impressive show. And I saw that four years ago now at this stage, and I, I was blown away. So just again, it's uh, an example you. of going back to that 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 energy that you have that 
just um, epitomizes the likes of like Jim Carrey, Robin Williams. It's, it's just, I, I'd forgotten about that until you mentioned it. Now that you mention it, yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, I forgot about that show. But my God, yeah, another classic example of Roy bringing his, you know, his, well, even though you're like Robin and, uh, and, and Jim and you're drawing from their <laughs> energy, but you have your own unique presence as well on top of that. So um, I do. It's very bizarre. I don't know, I don't know where I came from. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you were doing that show. Yeah, so doing that show with them for three summers. And what they wanted to do was, because they also do um, a show called Scale, an uh, uh, Irish language show that's based around the Leaving Cert. So they toured around schools all over Ireland. Um, and it's it's to help kids, you know, especially with the Leaving Cert, their orals and their orals, just get them that little bit of the Irish in. But because mm. it's based around the Leaving Cert and it's based around things that will come up in the Leaving Cert, the kids relate to it that little bit better. And they go, oh, I get that. And it's fun, no matter what the lads' ethos for all their shows is, there has to be fun, there has to yeah. be jokes, because you have to break the seriousness of all that kind of stuff. And what they'd said was, you know, we have the sixth year show and it's a huge success. They're always asked back with every school they go to. And they have one for transition years, um, which is, again, it's more for teaching drama, or no, it's more for teaching Irish through drama. But what they said they wanted to do was they wanted to have an actual show for the first to third years because they've hit every other kind of year but they said we've never done the junior cycle of, of secondary school so the idea that they had was they wanted to do ireland the survivor's guide but do it as an irish show instead now when they initially said that to me i panicked and went that's fantastic so who have you got coming in to do all that irish and they went well you like we want you to do it like you know the show inside and out like we can, we we trust you 100% with this show. And I went, ah, that's great. I'm not a Gwail Gore though. I have like just little bits of Irish that can get me by. Mm -hmm. And they said, we know, but you've done scale with us before and you've done a couple of the workshops with us. So you do have an understanding. And I went, yeah, but to do an entire show in Irish, I was like, that's what, well, like I was putting a mental block on myself, which looking back on it, I shouldn't have because the lad said, you know what, let's just try it. Because you know the show in English, you'll know all the sketches, you'll know how to do the props, you'll know how to do the different characters. With the Irish, we'll sit down with you separately and we'll go through the Irish with you. Mm. And that's exactly, so literally January, or no, sorry, February, we spent about three weeks. The first week we were coming up with sketches and we were taking the ones that would work from the English and that could translate into Irish well. And then the second two weeks was really just, we need to nail the show down and nail the Irish down. So myself and a wonderful, wonderful actress, Neve McGrath, came on to do it with me. And the two of us just gelled from day one. And mm. as soon as I, I saw that, I went, you know what? I don't even care about the Irish anymore because I have a fantastic co-partner here with me who's going to make this so enjoyable, especially when you're touring around the country long days on the road between shows and just when you're like oh god just having that person there who can provide that little bit of joy the little bit of a joke or like you know when you're having your teas and your coffees at, at lunch and stuff and you you have the, the big dmcs together and you're like gosh like i'm so glad i had somebody there to do that with mm. um and then lo and behold we started doing the rehearsals and i was going my god i'm speaking fluent irish what, what is going on? And Sean looked at me and went, yeah, I didn't want, I wanted to see a long take. You've been speaking fluent Irish and you never even realized you were doing it because wow. I was listening every single day to the recordings he sent me of my lines. It just, just it ingrained into me. And because I knew the sketches so well, I just started doing things naturally. And then lo and behold, when we started doing the tour, 
I'd be going up to the Irish teachers and started speaking Irish to them. And Neve was looking at me going, what the hell? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I feel like I'm possessed. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it was, so that for me, that show was great crack because the kids responded so, so well. We had such laugh with them. And Neve, and she'll always say, Neve herself wasn't a whale go either. Mm. So she was always like, you can do the majority of the Irish and I, I'll chime in when I need to. But because she was such a fantastic actress, the kids responded to her so well. And she has this amazing ability because a lot of the stuff that we do in that show is audience interaction. So we'll pull people up onto the stage with us. I think actually we got you on stage. I remember when you came to see it. I think for the balloon history of the North, we got you pumping a balloon on stage, I think, was it? I'm not sure if that was me or not. No, uh, do you know why? I don't think it was. I don't think it was me because I when it, no, I think it might have been maybe Martin or Emma or one of the people that we were working. Oh with no! Did, did we not get you for something? Did we? I remember we got you with something. I think was it the Irish female? Was it the puppet that we brought down? Yes, that was it. Because I'll be honest, uh, yes. sometimes sometimes when I know there's audience participation, as much of an actor as I am, if I know there's audience yeah. participation, I'll try and conceal myself so I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I can sometimes I can be a little bit shy in that department if it's not a project that I'm working on like you know yeah. but you know because uh, I can be a bit funny like that sometimes so I, I don't think it was you got me with the puppet I believe yeah but I don't think you got yeah, me on stage with the balloon I think you might have got maybe Martin or Emma or another person from the play we were working with at the time we all came yeah, to see yeah. it it must have been someone else um but yeah no it's, yeah it, yeah it was big on audience participation which is great yeah I'd love to see it but sometimes when I'm in the audience like even if I go and see like the panto yeah. back at home if I'm not in it I'll go and see it I, I know they're going to try and single me out so I try and like put myself in a position where yeah, I can't just... be you know um, which is a strange thing because I, I love being on stage I love like performing yeah. for people but then sometimes when you're not prepared for it it can throw you a exactly, little bit yeah. you know so um but um so and then sorry there's, there's much I go on these big tangents I do apologize <laughs> <laughs> The, um, the great thing about that was, though, we were doing that, we were touring around and stuff, but what was gas was, as we were, you know, going on the long roads, because we did a couple of places in Dublin at the beginning, which was nice, it broke us in nice and easy, and then we started venturing out to down to Cork, we went to Kildare, we were in Wicklow, um, we went over to Mayo, Mayo was the longest one that we had to do, because um, we literally went right to the tip of it, um, but all throughout, we've been hearing about this, you know, other oh, coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, it's, you know, it's it's starting to spread. And myself and Eve were going, oh, Jane, your Mac is starting to spread. And then we heard that it got into Europe and we were going like, oh, God, like that's devastating. Like, what does it mean? Like, and the fact that it's a it's a cold and it's a flu virus, but like, surely mm -hmm. they can, surely you can stop that kind of thing. Obviously, you know, back then we were all completely oblivious to what COVID really was. Um, and then lo and behold, we're touring around and then we get word that um, in one of the schools that we were in, a teacher started handing out these notes to all the students as they were helping us bring stuff out to our car and stuff. They were like, show was great. And like, you know, are you a fluent Irish speaker? And I was saying to them, because I, I, I'm a devil for doing this. I'll say it to the kids afterwards. I'm like, guys, I'm not a Gaelgo. I don't speak fluent Irish. But I said, that's, that's the magic of learning a language. You can do it in a way that it goes into your body. And you don't realize for me, it was through acting. So I was saying it to them, don't ever knock something. Give it a mm. shot in another way and it can help you learn the language. But next minute, they're handing out these notes. And on it, I just remember seeing in bold letters, um, COVID-19. And I went to Neve, what is that? And she went, well, try and get one. So she managed, she managed to sneak one away and we were looking mm. at it. And it was the whole thing of that um, a school tour over in Italy had um, brought COVID or contracted it, you know, and it was here in Ireland. 
Um, now, obviously, that wasn't the main... COVID-19 was spreading. That was that was just a particular isolated incident that got blown out of proportion. But it was so funny because we were driving down to Mayo and we were looking at each other and we you could hear it on the radio, you know, oh, COVID-19, there's cases of an airport in Ireland. And we had said it, we were looking at each other and we were going... I don't think we'll see this tour to the end. I genuinely think we're going to get stopped before this, before we complete our final tour. And um, we had one more week. So the Friday, oh no, the Thursday we had a show and then we had to drive over to Mayo. Big, long, massive drive. And, you know, it was so funny because as we were driving, this big, massive snowstorm and just this huge storm had come up, had blown across from the West. Nobody was reporting on it because they were all talking about COVID. None of the mm. weather people mentioned it. So as we were driving, we were going, Oh, great. There's a storm right ahead of us. There's a bleeding virus coming behind us. We're going to be stuck in the middle of an apocalypse now at this stage. <laughs> even. We're going to be stuck in Mayo. It's going to, what, 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 what are you going to do? Like, you know, um, to anyone who's from Mayo, I love, love, love Mayo to bits. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. counties. I have great memories of Mayo. It's just a little jab. I'm just having a little jab, which is there. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got family in Mayo. <laughs> And that is where we'll end this swiftly. Thank you so much, Alan. I'm going to go and, you know, just curl up in a ball and cry. <laughs> but um, but no, it was, and it was actually, it was quite scary because we were driving through that storm. It was like, Jamie Mac, like snow, unlike anything I've ever seen, winds, and you're on these really narrow country roads. There's no light. It's just, it's, I've never experienced darkness like that, especially when you're driving. And mm. we were going like, we were crawling along at like 20 miles an hour. And Neve was just like, oh God, right, be so, so careful. I was like, yeah, 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 Neve, believe me, I'm, I'm telling myself that. But then lo and behold, we got to this lovely hotel, stunning night. We had a great dinner that night, um, great chats. The next morning we got up and three schools had to drive to meet us in this incredible theatre down in Mayo. Mm. I can't for the life of me, what was the name? I need to remember the name of the theatre because it was stunning, beautiful theatre. Um, and we did the show, it was great crack. The kids really responded well to us. The teachers were loving it. Even the fellow who was um who ran the hall and stuff, he was like, that show was brilliant. Um, fair play to his lads. And then as we were packing up, we got into the car, we were driving to the next location. We got the infamous call. Listen, lads, you've just done your last show. COVID is about to screw up everything and the country's about to go into a lockdown. Neve was devastated. Like she started crying straight away. And I was, I was just, I was just dumbfounded because I was going like, Jamie Mac. I was like, God, is it really that bad? Like, you know, Mm. like I said, completely oblivious. So I was like, is it really that bad? And then as we're driving back, we were tuning in. I was texting my mom saying, look, I'm going to be coming home earlier than expected. Um, And I guess we're going into a lockdown together, which is going to be great crack. So for me, I can remember exactly where I was. I can remember the time as well. It was at 11.30. We were driving out of Mayo. That's when we got the call. But what myself and Neve said was, right, if we're about to be going into a lockdown and everything's about to come to a standstill, we're going to take the longest route back to Dublin. So we did this lovely scenic route throughout mm. Mayo, throughout some of the counties, just this, these gorgeous routes. And I have some amazing pictures on my phone from it. And it was just stunning because for me it was like it was almost like setting me up for what was about to come i didn't go into this pandemic or the first lockdown being like oh everything's like you know going to go to hell and this is terrible i was going do you know what i can't be upset i've had an amazing two weeks with neve previous to that i had a great time in rehearsals with sean and herself and just the great crack that we had with the students and the buzz that we had when they were interacting with us as an audience and then just that lovely drive home i was like you know what whatever's about to come 
this these memories and this amazing feeling that I had doing what I loved before everything went to hell was enough to make me go, you know what? Let's just take the ball by the horns and go, right, let's ride this roller coaster and see where it brings us at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think I think you're absolutely right with that mentality. I think I went completely the like the the other way. I, I was just so <laughs> pissed off and annoyed at the whole thing. And yeah, because you were in Spain at the time, weren't you? Yeah, I was in Spain. I came back literally the week uh, it happened. I think I came back in around the eighth oh, or ninth of yes, March, right. and I was meant to be heading off again um, abroad a couple of weeks later. I was only meant to be home for yeah. two weeks, and that two weeks turned into seven months. Uh, I had gigs lined yeah. up and everything just at all and I, I went completely the other way I got very depressed very down about it and mm. I didn't I mean I, I'm jealous in a way that you had time like that nice <laughs> memory there to kind of build upon to set yourself forth yeah uh, like with, with the oncoming pandemic like that that was a brilliant idea yeah of course take the long route around take your time you've got nothing to rush back for you're absolutely you're absolutely right exactly and enjoy the company because god knows you probably you, you couldn't get into a car with Neve again for a long time no, and that's the thing. Like, we'll text each other every now and again and just be like, God, like the, the memories have, we always compare ourselves to, um, oh, they're a little couple in Carnation Street. Um, oh, what do we, we, we and we used to, we always to always joke, whenever we'd stop and get a cup of tea, it's like, is that a cup of tea, love? Is that? Um, so it, it, was, it was that lovely mentality, just a little married couple going around, messing with each other. Like, even when we were doing stuff with the students, mm. there'd still be that lovely banter between the two of us. And it just happened naturally. It wasn't scripted. It's just something that came about. As I say, that's when you know you're part of something really, really magical. And then, like you say, just going into something like the pandemic and little did we know it wasn't going to last for a couple of months. It was going to go on and on and on and on. Um, but just to have that kind of thing, like you say, to draw on was enough to go, do you know what? Let's just, we can do this. Let's just keep going. Let's keep going. Not to say I didn't have my moments um, in the third lockdown, the third lockdown. It's definitely yeah. the one that got to me because I remember just one day coming down the stairs and saying to my parents, do you know what? F this. Just F it all. I'm sick of it now at this stage. I want COVID to be effing gone and I just want to have an effing normal life again. Um, and then my dad, it was literally like the Kit Kat ad. It was like... And you're not, and you're not a big cursor. No, so. and, that's the, and even my parents were like, what is the matter with you? So you never swear like this. And I was like, I know, but I'm sick of all of this. It's a load of... Ah! just oh just every expletive that you could possibly think of came out of my mouth um but it was that thing of i was getting frustrated with the situation i was like the basic and the really important things i can't be i can't hang out with my friends i can't go and see some of my relatives i can't do some of the things i love doing like you know go and see the new film that's come out go down to the swan center at mines enjoy a night with the lads watching a movie and then maybe go down to the pub afterwards have a few drinks i have a few waters because i don't drink so i'm a big loser like that um, but you know just simple things like that but then it really got to me because i was like I can't even, you know, do the thing that I love. I, I can't go on a, I can't go onto a stage. I can't go onto a film set. I can't do anything. So it was that thing of just the frustration mm. of, I can't even express myself as a creative person because I have no outlet for it. And, and then I just remember stopping myself and going, actually, do you know what? Do you know what? Stop, 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 stop. Stop being such a moany, moany, moany little moop and just be like, do you know what? It is what it is. You have a roof over your head. You have a supportive mm. team of parents. A ma, um, it sounds like I have multiple parents. Sorry, I have a supportive parent um, in my mom and my dad. And them saying, look, we know your industry is going to suffer the most. It's going to take the longest to recover. 
it's not getting an awful lot of support, but that's an entirely different beast to tackle in in itself. But mm. just that sense of they were really to the court. That's to open that kind of words. Yeah, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, God, we'll we'll never. This conversation will be longer than an hour of a podcast. Um, but just that thing <laughs> of like, they were really like, take as long as you need to get yourself back to the levels you were at, and you have all the different gigs, you know, going for you. We don't mind, you know, we're here to support you because we want to see you succeed and be happy at what you do. And especially when the government came out with that, re- mm. for me, it was a horrendous statement when they said people in the performing arts industry maybe consider getting another career. For me, when I heard that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, when no. I heard that, though, I genuinely looked at my dad and went, are they for real? Like, that's who we are. That's who we express ourselves as individuals. And you're telling us we can't do that anymore. It's like, that's a horrendous, horrendous thing to say. I was having none of it. I think that's probably what affected yeah. me as well was hearing that I was like, so basically what you're telling anyone in the performing arts industry, the film industry, the musical industry, the singers, dancers, whoever it may be, you're basically telling them, well, look guys, you're going to have to go behind a desk job for a while because there's nothing we can do. It's like, no, that's not an option for people like us. We can only do that because that's who we are as people. You can't, you can't expect us to redefine who we are just because, you know, oh, we have to go into a lockdown for a little while. We will still find a way to be the people that we are. It was only talking to mom and dad about it. And um, some of the big things that I've said I would like to do is um, with regards like with the career and stuff, I definitely want to try and get over to America at some stage because to me, the kind of area, because that was the one thing I've said to a lot of people, take the COVID as a learning experience, not as a, like, as a real detriment thing. What I learned the most from COVID was that I now recognize the skills as a performer that I'm like, they just come naturally. That's the stuff I can really thrive at. And one of the big things was the voice acting for me, especially doing the podcast. Um, the girl said to me, because I don't just do the one character. There's a couple mm-hmm. of little jingles that we put into the show. I provide the voice for the jingles as well. And the girls were saying to me, it's like, you have an incredible ability as a voice actor. He said, you can just switch your voice like that. And it's, it's just incredible. And I remember them saying it to me and um, one of the girls had said, come here, you know, have you tried going to Voice Bank Dublin by any chance? And yeah. I was going, the big guy, I was like, the big guys? And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, that's cool. That's a pipe dream, if anything, I've ever heard it. Um, but she turned to me, she said, no, but Roy, hang on a second, hang on a second. Why aren't you represented by them? Why haven't you contacted them? Why haven't you put yourself, you have a talent, use it, utilize it. And I was like, um... Well, lo and behold, more people then who are listening to the podcast were like, which one is your voice, Roy? And then I'd say, and they went, I, it's not you. I said, that's genuinely not you doing it. Why don't you do more voice acting? And I went, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And then lo and behold, um, my friends who I play an awful lot of, and here's, here, I'm really expressing how much of a geek I am right now. Um, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. And I do a lot of the dungeon mastering stuff in it. So obviously I do a lot of the voices. I perform a lot of the NPC characters. And the lads always said, they're like, Roy, you're sensate. Like, how do you do that? Like there was one session I remember we did where like I had to MP or I had to RP as like seven Mm -hmm. or eight different characters at the one time whilst trying to keep their characters engaged. And they were like, how the hell did you do that? How did you switch between the seven voices so fluidly? And I was like, I don't know. And then lo and behold, one of the lads said, do you know what, yeah. Roy, you need to become a voice actor. I said, you're, you're too good. So I've always, I have always live by the rule of three. I'm like, okay, 
three indications, three signs, three big, like, you know, hello, hello, hello. Like we're literally telling you the answer. I said to myself, do you know what? Let's capitalize on it. Let's see what I can do. Started putting my voice reel together, started doing a couple of bits and pieces, asked loads of people for help yeah. just to say, look, how do I go about doing this? It's something that I used to just do as a bit of crack, as a bit of fun. I never saw it being something that I could do full time. And when I sent people clips and stuff, they went, well, it's about bloody time you figured that out because my God, you have a great talent. And I was like, God, thanks. God. Like, again, I'm, I'm always like, God, thank you. But like, like, can you, what, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, tell me things I can fix and improve mm-hmm. on. I'm never one for, you know, all praise and no critique or anything. But lo and behold, then I said, right, you know what? Let's just go for it. Let's just bloody well go for it. And then the gas thing was, um, because I really started wanting to do that more, one of my all-time favorite voice actors, and he's and he's also it's great because he's a big D and D nerd as well. Um, Matthew Mercer is just someone that I've I've loved him since a young age because his work just I I know so many characters that he does in like animation or video games and stuff. And when somebody said to me, "You're like an Irish version mm-hmm. of him," he said, "Like, have you ever seen him play D and D?" He's like, "You are like the Irish version of him," and I was like, "Wow." I was like, Christ, to be compared to someone like that is huge. But again, it was just another sign for me to go, do you know what? Go for it. Just full on go for it mm. and don't let anything stand in your way. So the big thing I said was, right, my two big goals. Well, the two biggest goals that I have at the moment going forward out of COVID is one, I'm definitely going to get in touch with Voice Bank Dublin and fingers, toes, everything crossed that I can spark enough of an interest from them to go, we like what we're hearing. We'll take you on as a client and we'll be your agent. I'm like, that's one of the big dreams. Um, and I have a picture of it up on my wall. I have their logo printed out and I'm just, I look at it every day and just go, right, just, just remember the dream. Think of nothing mm. else but that dream. Okay. And then the other thing then is heading over to America for a bit to try and just expand the horizons a little bit, because as I've come to learn, especially in Ireland, the industry is so small, so, so small. And it's, it's a tricky one to properly get into because there are so many creative people here in Ireland, so many creative people, the competition, not even competition, but like the friendly competition with each other is, is at such a high standard these days. And I think it's amazing. Like I, the creative people in Ireland have really shown, especially in the pandemic, just how resourceful we are and just how imaginative we are. So for me, I was like, I was like, okay, I definitely know I can't branch into certain things. I'm not a fantastic writer. I'm not this, but I know the areas that I'm really strong in and I want to, I want to focus on them and give them all of my time and energy. But with America, it was that case of, it's just, you know, there's bigger opportunities because there's different places you can go to with Ireland. It's quite limited because there are only a select few places you can go to. Um, so that there are two of my big things. Um, luckily I have some family and relatives over there. Who we're also saying, look, if you're coming over, you might as well stay with us. So for me, I'm like, I can go over, pursue a little bit of mm-hmm. a career, but also, you know, get to see my family that I haven't seen for nearly a year now at this stage. So it's fantastic. So if you could go back now and talk to younger Roy, say Roy all them years ago, the first time he's looking at Mrs. Doubtfire, for example, and he's beginning to get inspired by Robin Williams' performance. What advice would you give to, to that particular Roy as he sets out on his creative journey? I love that question because, believe it or not, it's also the question that I get to ask on the podcast every time when we do The Kids Are All Right. We always ask it to our guest. And it's gas because I've 
oh, I, I see, I love asking the question. I've never thought about it, but I do. What I think I would say to younger Roy is that life is a story. You're going to have your ups. You're going to have your downs. But no matter what, you have to go through them all for the story to be one of a kind, to be your story, to be a unique story. So get that pen at the ready. Get your fresh sheets of paper ready to go and write a bestseller. That's what I'd say to him. Wow, brilliant. Very, very, very well put, Roy. Couldn't agree with you more. And thank you so much for joining me today on the show. We're going to wrap it up there, but I wish you the absolute best of luck uh, in your voice acting. Hopefully you hear good news back from Voice Bank and hopefully you get to America. Uh, wish you the best of luck with the Kids Are All Right podcast, your film acting, your stage acting, everything you're doing. I wish you 100% best of luck with it and you're going to rock it. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you again for having me on. It's been great. And keep doing this it's fantastic like these kind of things are what we need more and more of in in this in this crazy new world we're about to venture into yeah absolutely well i'm one man doing my best roy doing my best but i mean same for yourself where where voice acting has become like a passion of yours throughout throughout lockdown and you've got that perspective and discovered it like for me podcasting and you know getting into radio and that type of thing uh and utilizing a lot of the skills that i have like you know where it comes to editing or writing and stuff like that just kind of bringing it all together so i'm hopefully on the road to achieving what you've achieved now with the podcast and voice acting <laughs> I, I that that's what i'm striving for as well so in that regard you that's are an it. absolute inspiration roy and thank you so much for ah, joining you, me no thank you like i said it's absolute pleasure i'm delighted to come on board so thank you so so much for having me on it's been a pleasure Well, that brings us to the end of episode four of Creative Sessions with Creative People. I've been your host, Alan, and I want to thank Roy for the chance to sit down with him and have an amazing in-depth conversation about all the creative aspects of his life. Uh, He does wonderful things. He's involved in so many different projects. And honestly, Roy, once again, I wish you the best of luck in everything you do. I wish you nothing but success. I hope you get to America. I hope you hear good things back from Voice Bank. And thank you so much for your time and for an amazing interview. But that's it from me for this week. This has been Creative Sessions with Creative People. I've been Alan. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time.